Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And today we're talking about RimWorld, originally released uh, for PC in October of 2018. Uh, I fell extremely hard for this game after I saw Josh falling extremely hard for this game on Steam. We've uh, recently been locked down for the coronavirus quarantine, and this game's an excellent way to pass the time. Yeah, that's very true. It's been uh, it's been a nice sort of way to, to pass the time, a nice distraction. Uh, this game's uh, basically an extremely in-depth, um, you know, simulation of a, a colony on a far-flung planet. Uh, this game, you know, uh, it, it really has a way of drawing you in. The simulation is deep. It tells a compelling story. But, you know, before we get into what makes this game special, let's maybe talk a little bit, a bit about how it came to be. Uh, this was, uh, from a programming perspective, it was a, a fairly solo effort by designer and programmer Tynan Sylvester, founder of Ludeon Studios. Uh, originally, this was a Kickstarter game. That it was. Uh, moved from Kickstarter to Early Access on Steam. And I think it's a great example of what type of game can succeed very well on Steam, building on itself and give, getting continual updates and uh, continual new content. Yeah, for sure. This seems to me to be like the case in point four early access like it allows an an early set of interested people to get in and help fund the remainder of the development i mean tynan got two hundred and sixty eight thousand dollars of a plan to twenty thousand from his kickstarter so he was going in fairly flush by what he expected to have regardless but um you know this game even throughout its um early access phase was winning awards from IndieDB to Steam's top user rated game to the DICE Awards even in 2019 after its official release. So um, it got a lot of, uh, you know, good press over the time that it was being developed and in early access. And, you know, right now it, it feels like a very full product, even though it is still getting additional content and recently a paid expansion. Oh, that's right. I think they're officially past version 1.0 now, and they've moved on to paid expansion content. Um, I know this was your first time, this was your first rodeo rimshot over here, but uh, (laughs) this was the second or third time I've gone through the game, so I went through and checked out the expansion as well. I'll be sure to talk about that. Yeah, it it, look, it looks intriguing to me, and just l- looking at the features that were included in the expansion, it makes me want uh, more of it. This this sort of hits that same like civilization uh, expansion thing for me, where it's like, oh man, I've already sunk so many hours into this game, and adding all these cool new things, even though I haven't seen half of the stuff in the base game, sounds so great. <laughs> so, you know, it's maybe a degenerate habit of mine to just continue to buy these games that... Uh, you know, I probably wouldn't notice if I had or not from an expansion perspective, but also, you know what? They deserve my cash. This is a good developer. He made a good thing. I'm more than happy to give him my money. There we go. There we go. Well, let's take a look at what the game is. Um, this game is very heavily inspired by Dwarf Fortress, the classic Tarn Adams game that started coming, I don't know, 2002, 2003. He started developing that and still working on it. Uh, but as a big fan of Dwarf Fortress, I would say this is the first game that I've played that I think really bears the torch that Dwarf Fortress lit. Uh, there's superficial similarities, like you got a base you're building. In, in this game, you're 
you control three survivors of a spaceship crash landing on this um, Western-type world, uh, like cowboys and cowboy hats and all that. Um, And you build a base, you start researching higher-tech stuff, and you eventually escape the planet. But to me, the way it really carries on the tradition or carries on the genre is that doesn't even call itself a game. It calls itself a story generator. This game's all about the procedurally generated stories. Nothing nothing like a written plot that gets you through, but just the different systems interacting with each other in interesting ways to produce fun for you. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, the game sort of has this ebb and flow between... Um, you know, times of calm and times where the game is very specifically throwing like a wrench in the gears to make um, things interesting for you, whether that's like with a raid or an illness or some uh, inclement weather or something like that. But you're right that it it generates a lot of different stories based on uh, the AI storyteller that you pick right off the bat from Randy Random to like the more calm and chill uh, Cassandra Casual, I think it was, or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they let you sort of tailor your own experience up front um, just by characterizing the type of game they want you to have, which I like. It's more novel than just a difficulty slider, you know? Yeah, different flavors are different quote-unquote personalities. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it was was really interesting, too, was the way they ratchet up the tension one of the ways they do that uh there's the typical things like oh your base is being invaded by space pirates or it's being invaded by uh giant tunneling insects crawling up and into your buildings and all that uh so that's the kind of things you expect but there's also things like well there's a nuclear winter now and none of your crops are going to grow and then you got to deal with that or there's um like there's illnesses that happen and strike down your herd of llamas or mufflos or things like that mm-hmm. different ways that the game challenges you it's not just all combat when it, we talk about tension here yeah it's all about sort of drama and tragedy and sometimes comedy that goes on in your your colony <laughs> and um you know at the the place where this um ends up happening most uh most specifically is with the colonists right like good stories don't have perfectly functional people and Mm -hmm. um the dysfunction of your colonists makes for most of the interesting action in this game Uh, it might go all up in flames in an epic way but boy what a story (laughs) you get from that absolutely like um your colonists they come with traits some of them positive some of them negative like Maybe your one of your three crash landed people is a pyromaniac, and he enjoys setting things on fire. Yeah, literally up in flames in that case. <laughs> For a game where so much is built off of wood, that can be a problem. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, these emergent stories are like so systemically enforced um, by the unreliability of what these uh, various, you know, but the storyteller is uh, sending your way but it really like highlights the traits of the the colonists that you have like a certain type of colonist will react very different to a stressor than another one will um Mm -hmm. like i had a a depressive and after a bad thing happened where the depressive was required to be out in the cold all night defending the homestead he would go on a break the next day and like punch the wall and break my equipment and stuff like that
and these things can cascade as well. Like um, the the colonists will have relationships with each other. They can be friends. They can be lovers. Get married to each other, and then if say a husband gets killed or kidnapped by slavers or something like that, that's obviously going to affect the spouse of that guy um, pretty deeply. So then that per- that colonist might start going off and being crazy, getting into fights with other colonists, tearing up your base a little bit. And it's something you have to manage. You have to manage the mood of your colonist very well. Yeah, the mood sort of affects how fast they move and act and how well they do the tasks you assign them. Um, and another thing that governs that is the skills that each uh, individual colonist uh Uh, possesses, be that uh, in gathering or farming or crafting, construction or shooting or melee. So there's sort of a a variety of different skills that all the colonists have a number rating between 1 and 20 on. And generally speaking, that's how you're going to dictate what they do, at least once you get enough colonists to have someone who's good at, at any given task. Which, when you start off with only three colonists, takes a little bit of time to get all those, uh, get all your new people from the beginning yeah it's funny like uh, at the beginning uh i didn't really have i only had one person who was even passable at cooking like my highest was a six so mm-hmm. uh food poisoning was something i was battling for like the whole first part of my game as you know the shitty cooks continually tried to you know make their bad standard meals from the <laughs> shitty corn that i was growing mm-hmm. and uh it was funny and eventually it caused me to like rebuild my whole base because uh my kitchen was like my main thoroughfare and i realized that i was tracking dirt into it constantly (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's another thing that this simulates is how messy things are and then you know if your kitchen is a mess then your food's gonna cause food poisoning more if your hospital room is a mess then people are gonna get more infections going on yeah, it's, it's, it's very granular in how it's simulating all that stuff down to specific rooms and, you know, how aesthetically pleasing they are for your colonist's mood and how, um, you know, how, you know, like you said, how dirty they are, how easy they are to traverse. And it's pretty cool. Like, another thing they do with the skills in this game is they give certain um, colonists passions so mm-hmm. that they can increase in those skills much quicker. So if you guy who you have a guy who's like relatively okay at cooking, but he's got a burning passion for it, you might want to consider like letting him cook sometimes so that he'll eventually be like a superstar cook because he'll raise his skill so quickly. And he'll enjoy doing it too, raising his mood as well. Yeah, I got early on, I got a character who was super passionate about research and that paid dividends because um, <laughs> he was never... Uh, displeased after I started putting him as a priority on research. Nice, nice. Now, this game Um, definitely has a lot of interlocking systems, and I think there's two things this game does particularly better than Dwarf Fortress, and one of them is the introduction to these systems, how it shows you the systems and displays them. Um, The tutorial for this game, I think, although it takes a little bit of time to get through, does a very good job of telling you what you need to know for the game. I just want to say, there's a tutorial. Hooray! <laughs> Thank God. Like, if Dwarf Fortress had this, like, it would be so much more accessible. I And I said this to you when I first played this game, is I literally feel like I understand Dwarf Fortress better because I played this game's tutorial. Like, <laughs> a lot of the systems that were so like, opaque to me in Dwarf Fortress because of uh, the ASCII graphics and the lack of a good UI... 
um, the stockpile system, for example, and the work grid. Um, mm-hmm. All of that was just so difficult to grok with lack of a tutorial in Dwarf Fortress that immediately all clicked into place when I saw the tutorial of RimWorld. And I find myself thinking back to my time with Dwarf Fortress and thinking, oh, I understand what was going on now when X <laughs> happened. So, yeah, very strange to back solve for a different game by playing another game. Yeah, this, um, like I said earlier, this game takes a lot of inspiration from Dwarf Fortress. Things like the stockpile system, the different skills and moods that your colonists can have, the relationships, um, even like in the combat system, how specific organ systems can be damaged, and that has a long-term effect outside of combat. There's so much this game took from Dwarf Fortress, and in terms of UI and UX, improved immensely on it. Um, Dwarf Fortress can be very difficult to learn. It's very famous for its learning cliff, whereas this game, it's easier to, you know, not spend three hours reading the wiki to figure out how to play it. It surprised me how much easier uh, of a time I had sinking hours and hours and dozens of hours into this game uh, because it onboarded me fairly well um, compared to Dwarf Fortress. And, you know, for that game, I was struggling to continue, for Dwarf Fortress, that is, I was struggling to continue playing it because it was um, less easy to grok. And when you're not understanding what's going on, you're not going to have as good of a time. And at the end of the day, this is a game, right? It's supposed to be fun. Uh, mm-hmm. That is to say, accessibility matters. Listen up, <laughs> game devs. <laughs> accessibility, um, also the ease of onboarding as well. Like As someone who's played many, many, many hours of Dwarf Fortress over the years, I can say that the game definitely has some deep systems to it, just like this game does. But I'm not going to fault anybody who doesn't want to spend the first 10 hours trying to figure out the interface. Yeah, totally agree. Um, but getting back to the the simulation and sort of progression of this game, uh, which I was actually able to make it through because it was ex- uh, accessible, um, <laughs> the game sort of has you on a, a slow progression of increasing your ability to access tech. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to research it, but also you have to gather the resources required to put it to use. So whether it's mining or farming gathering, uh, foraging, you know, livestock, etc. There's a lot of different ways to get resources in this game, and there's a lot of different resources. So mm-hmm. you um, generally are spending the early parts of the game just sort of putting in place a system of resource gathering that will allow you to subsist in the world, and then later on in mid-game you start to turn that focus towards like, alright, what's going to generate me some cash so I can trade and get the things maybe I don't have access to to continue to climb that tech tree. Yeah, the tech tree, I think it's an important bit of progression in this game or how the game progresses. Um, Originally, you have maybe three or four different kind of production workbenches you can work at, and as you keep going up in the tech tree, you, you know, you put your burning passion nerd guy at the research bench and just have him wail away at that but you eventually unlock more things you can create more things and uh your base building options start uh they your base building options move from being kind of more primitive to being more intricate 
uh, in terms of your power grid and your temperature salute, your like HVAC system in your base and everything like that. Yeah, it's pretty neat, uh, like seeing like your base get access to a new piece of technology that would either revolutionize the way you do, um, you know, gathering or allow you to set up automated automated defenses for raids um, or um, enables entirely new resources to be crafted from the raw materials that you're gathering or farming. Uh, all of that is to, to say that, like, it's a very satisfying progression. And mm-hmm. I found myself, like, especially... I mean, I have a few, like, favorite things that I, I research that now that I've played through this game once, I have a specific build order in. But when I unlock those favorite things, it just felt like a whole new world of the game was opened up to me. And, of course, I'm talking about drug manufacturing. <laughs> now, so I've never gotten as far in this game as you have, Brian. Um, I think I got up to turrets once before, but I, I'm a bit more masochistic on my difficulty selection, so... Uh, I, I don't mind the uh, I don't mind the constant restarting and the challenge that comes with that. But what were your like big unlocks over there? You mentioned drugs. Yeah. So when I realized that, um, you know, uh, there was one resource that was sort of gating me from continuing to progress up the tech tree, and it was plasteel. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough thing to mine um, unless you have like very sophisticated underground detection systems and mining. So I was mostly um, trading for it. Uh, that and components, components and plasteel were the two things that I found myself, you know, trading for a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, I need to find a way to get some cash fast. And I had already had like several colonists that were super good at um, harvesting crops. So I was like, all right, what can I do with crops that'll get me plasteel? And it turned out that that solution was to make massive quantities of psychite plant and then uh, refine that into flake, which is basically like this game's meth. And uh, so my my colony was the bad kid on the block who made all the meth and sold it to all the other colonies. Um, for their and, <laughs> valuable supplies. For their valuable supplies of uh, engineering components. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, this is a very, like, you know, libertarian colonist out on the borderlines of society style game so there's no like laws in place to say like hey you can't go around selling drugs because it's Mm -hmm. a colony world right there's not an infrastructure i will say on that point there are particularly devious players of this game that do you know there's not a whole lot in the way of laws on this world your base can do what you want but even though some people are you know your colonists aren't gonna always like what you do but there are some more morally gray or black choices you can make. Like you can sell people into slavery or you can later on harvest organs and things like that. And there's definitely people with a more malicious bent or who enjoy expressing that in video games, at least who have enjoyed this game for the opportunities it offers you. Well, see, I like the way that this game does morality so much better than, um, something like you know it's always it's fun to rip on mass effect for the paragon and renegade which is Hmm. just the two morality choices that are equally you're still the good guy okay you're just being an asshole about it sometimes Um, (laughs) but yeah uh this game does it in in a much more interesting way because it is let's be clear very mechanically rewarding to uh, be a slaver in terms of the amount of money you can get or the amount of money you can get from harvesting organs but um as it should the game dings you with like huge mood drops 
perhaps for all of your settlers when they realize that their settlement is uh, a being of pure evil. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the game, like, I, I don't know that it's, it's, it's very clear on where it stands on uh, the issues of being a terrible person and a slaver or an organ harvester, which is good because if mm-hmm. it didn't, I'd, I'd be a little uh, apprehensive about this game. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, in terms of colonists, you know, we talk a little bit about, I was just talking about, uh, you know, the ability to uh, trade colonists or uh, harvest organs. And it, it brings me to the, the topic of like, how do you acquire more colonists in this game? Because this was like a, a question that I had early on, like, mm-hmm. well, how am I going to get more colonists? And for me, the easiest way to do this was like when I got raided by people um, was to down them, but not kill them, capture them and then uh, convert them, basically. Like, I had one character who had a high social skill who was my warden, and then every time I, you know, got raided, I would try to not kill one of the colonists, like the one that I liked the most or needed the skill set of, and uh, basically assimilate them into my my tribe of drug makers. (laughs) (laughs) Come join us. (laughs) We have great parties. (laughs) <laughs> so this is definitely the major way to acquire new colonists for your places, you know, through raids and prisoners and whatnot. But I guess I never really figured out a way to pick my favorite. I just kind of, I, you know, defended against everybody and whoever was left still alive, then I tried to convert <laughs> them afterwards. Did you have anything specific in place? No, no. Generally speaking, that's how I did it too. Like if there was someone that I knew, like, Okay, so here's how it really ended up playing out is I had one uh, colonist who had like an extremely high shooting skill and um, I also always equipped him with the best weapon, of course, right? Because he was my hunter. He was the main like, if shit hits the fan, he's going to clear clear guys out. And um, I would always just send him after like the one that I didn't care if they died because he usually killed him pretty quick. And then mm-hmm. I'd send like the less competent fighters against the guy who I wanted to recruit so that they would probably knock him down and disable him but not kill him <laughs> shoot him in the kneecaps a lot huh yeah oh shoot i missed and accidentally hit you in the kneecap <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i got you so, i got you yeah and that, that worked well i do think the game has a a, a number of colonists it wants you to have and if you're below that number then your ai storyteller is more likely to give you kind of like freebie colonists like oh there's a a a transport pallet crash landed and there's a wounded survivor or there's a quest to save this guy from a pirate camp Um, and if you have more than a set number of colonists I think the default is 13 or 14 if you have more than that then you're more likely to get bad events like your colonist has gone insane and is attacking other colonists or a disease has struck or there's more raids or something like that in order to keep you in the happy medium of I think between six or seven and 13 or 14 colonists yeah that's right and um those little like rescue mission things that you can do are really fun too so when you get like a communication that says like this skilled surgeon uh is trapped or wounded in a remote region send a caravan out to go get him and that's another system that we should talk about a little bit is the ability to form a caravan either for trade or exploration Mm -hmm. uh, to go out into the the wilderness and then you know you can either you can set up an entirely new base, I think. You can have multiple bases, correct? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, I never got to that point, but um, 
it was pretty neat to like start getting to the point where I had enough colonists that I could form a caravan and not like cripple my uh, local economy by doing so. So mm-hmm. I would eventually be sending out like usually I'd send out two, uh, like the good the guy that was good at talking and then his bodyguard, mm-hmm. um, and that was sort of my my main caravan duo, uh, Brio and Brio and Hull. Uh, guess which one was the talker and which was the fighter. <laughs> um, but they they ran a lot of missions out to the the local uh, research colony to trade drugs for uh, fancy equipment, and <laughs> mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a cool little system. And the game does a lot with like building a world around you that you do actually get to interact with, not just on the local level, but on like the uh, sort of outpost to outpost level. I believe the victory condition for the game, too, is to form a caravan to this buried starship. Um, I think once you get there, you're supposed to uh, kind of fend off waves of enemy attacks for a couple of days, and then you can take the starship and escape the planet. So eventually you do have to form a victory caravan to get out of the planet. Yeah, and it's really fun. Like they don't, they never get to the point where your caravans are mechanized in any way. You're always still just taming animals and um, loading them up with supplies. So you know, I was talking. I always got like a big old muffalo, which is a, a buffalo that's like woolly and white. And you know, he was my main pack animal. And you know, at one point, I had like an antelope that I had tamed. This game is a really funny animal system too. Like at, at one point I didn't have anyone who was any good at taming at all, but an animal that was around my base a lot, just like self-tamed mm-hmm. and he, was, he just joined my colony. So that was how I got my first pack animal. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. The game sort of, sometimes the game, you know, the game giveth and the game taketh. Uh, RimWorld can be extremely harsh at times, but th- there's also sometimes where it throws you a bone every once in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does a good job with that. Again, this is something it's very much aiming to do with the storytellers that uh, ratcheting up the tension and then nice relaxation afterwards. Absolutely. So um, (laughs) we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, colony raids and acquisition, but how did you find the combat in this game? Because I I felt it was pretty straightforward. It was sort of just like a 2D strategy game combat where, you know, you're selecting characters, you you have to change between their sort of military and production mode, right? So you can script them or um, I can't remember what the word the game draft. uses. You draft them. Yeah. So you draft your uh, colonist into your um, military force or your militia or whatever, and then they will uh, obey your orders to a T, right? So in normal production mode, your colonists will sort of go and sort of a clockwork way to do their prioritized tasks. Uh, and you can, you know, set specific things you want them to prioritize. But until you conscript them into a militia, you don't have direct control over where they stand and what they do, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting sort of way of this game um, becoming modal when it comes to combat. And it works really well, too. Uh, I mentioned there are two things this game does much better than Dwarf Fortress. Combat is the second one. Um, it just kind of makes sense. You know, it's not anything super tactical. Uh, you know, you want to keep your colonists behind cover for the gunfights. Um, you can kind of lure enemies into traps. You can build ways to funnel them through different areas filled with traps and things like that. But it's, um, uh, at least until the royalty expansion, uh, there weren't really like 
special abilities that your colonists could use. It was mostly just, here's your gun or here's your club. Mm-hmm. Go at him. Um, but it works really well with that simplicity, um, especially compared to Dwarf Fortress, which is a whole Byzantine mess of regulations and schedules and uniform supplies. <laughs> and you could write a textbook on how to do that. And every time I co- go back to that game, I have to read that textbook about how to do combat. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have to say I'm glad that I, I, I never even got to engage with combat in Dwarf Fortress. I didn't make it that far. But um, I liked how this game handled it. It was very straightforward and simple. And like I said, the modal aspect of it is what I think made it so concise, right? Like trying to bolt all of the combat mechanics and actions onto the existing work structure would mm-hmm. have muddied the water to an unreconcilable degree. So the way that they you know, made combat effectively a separate mode for your um, person, which I think says a lot about like how combat exists in real life, right? Um, there's day-to-day and then there's combat. It's very clean how that works, and it's very like stark, the difference between the time you spend as a citizen versus as a soldier. Worth mentioning, too, I think I mentioned it briefly, is the health system in this game. Um it's not just like your colonists have hit points, and when they lose all their hit points, they go down. Um, you also have different organ systems that can sustain permanent damage. Like, um, your colonists can have a gunshot go through a lung, and then that lung is shot. Maybe you can get it to heal up if you got a good doctor. If not, your colonist can't breathe as well, and then he can't work as well because... You know, he's only got one lung or maybe an eye gets shot out or destroyed in some um, destroyed in battle somehow. Then he's not going to be able to see things as well. That's going to affect his shooting values and things like that. So the game has a very intricate wound system that goes on. Yeah, down to the point where we talked about organ harvesting earlier, you can not only harvest organs for transplant to fix those problems, you can also um, create prosthetics. So if you you can become like a prosthetic limb factory, and those are extremely valuable. And I think that is actually known as a pretty decent way to make money in this game is to be a producer of high-tech prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, prosthetics can range from just a simple wooden peg leg to... Like uh, super laser knees or things like that. Artificial lungs. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And they, you know, they definitely like lean into the uh, future sci-fi aspect of this game very heavily when it comes to like your abilities advancing as it goes to medicine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, so the other, another thing that I wanted to make sure we touched on with this game, uh, because it's so perfect is the music um it's incredibly like meditative and minecraft-esque like when it starts coming in you just immediately know that like man this is like the perfect song to be playing right now for what i'm doing (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um i need to mention the uh, composer up front his name is alistair Lindsay, uh who is the audio guru of this game uh he was a, a rare guy back in the day did jet force gemini and man i like really dug these tunes Oh, they were very good. Actually, um, with the royalty expansion, the first thing I noticed was it doubles the amount of music in the game. Oh, and... you just sold me to get sold me that expansion so hard just now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean really, like I, I played this game for probably 50, 60 hours before Brian started picking it up, and I dove back into it. Um, and 
I got used to the music. I loved the music, but then, yeah, that was the first thing I noticed with the expansion was, oh, this is a new song. This is great. Ah, oh, that's dope. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. Like the music reminded me a bit of. Um, have you played Terraria? It is sort of a similar vibe. Oh, great game. Yeah, totally. We should do a pot on that. But um, the use of like a flangered guitar, uh, it was really like pronounced in some of the tracks, and you don't hear that all the time, and it's just really neat. Um, the tracks are all really subtle and they do what they need to do except when they're not subtle and they like draw attention to the fact that shit's going down or uh, this is a really uplifting moment it's you know he wrote he clearly wrote a bunch of different songs for a bunch of different moods and the game like incorporates that into when it plays those things in a way that is like profoundly well done I gotcha, I got yeah, music top notch in this game. And that's important when you're playing it for as long as we are. Like this was the perfect podcast game for me. Like I listened to a lot of podcasts while playing this game, but the music uh, that also played in the background um, was key. So this was like in the perfect podcast game in a way that was an audio medium that wasn't distracting me from what I was listening to on a podcast. <laughs> so that was neat. And how many hours did you put into this? Forty. Yeah, about 40 at the end of the day, and um, <laughs> I'll probably continue to play more. Like, that was just on, like, you know, I, I think I had, like, three total colonies throughout the time that I played, but the vast majority of that was spent on one of the colonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. You probably had one or two to figure out the systems, and mm-hmm. they probably died. Because, yep. like Dwarf Fortress, <laughs> losing is fun, and you're going to do it often. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Like, this game has, like, a sort of... Uh, roguelike bent of like things will get irrevocably screwed at some point and you just have to like call it quits on that colony and you know go to the next one so i was talking a little bit before about the royalty expansion i mentioned more music more music tracks is always good Um, Mm -hmm. but there are some other features on it as well um your colonists could join up with this kind of um, feudal system, this feudal empire that would give them abilities like they could uh, get these new psychic powers to use on enemies or buff their teammates, things like that. Um, how did that uh, how did the psychic powers play out like with the the combat system? I never got super high into the uh, psychic powers kind of thing but the powers I saw were useful like um, one of them was called burden that was one I used a lot and what it does is it slows down the movement speed of any enemy uh, so it was very useful when you got a guy charging at you and you got five guns pointed at him more time to shoot at him is that like activated or is it something the colonist will use automatically oh it's something you choose to uh, activate oh that's awesome I think there's kind of like an MP system uh, called Psychic Entropy. Like, the more you use powers, the more dangerous it might be to use powers or something. Or the mm-hmm. harder it is, or I don't know. Um, I was never that much of a sidecaster that I noticed what the effects were. But there's other things like you can make a group of enemies vomit, um, which, you know, slows them down again. You can cause them to attack their friends. You can raise up temporary walls. So there's some useful psychic powers over there. No, that's really cool. So um, 
I, I feel like that's sort of the difference between, like, I'm going to pull a StarCraft reference here, uh, the difference between, like, a Zealot and a Templar, right? On the Protoss, you have mm-hmm. your, your melee fighter, who's your standard soldier, and then your ability user, the Psychic, who can, like, turn the tide of a battle if you have a correctly used uh, area of effect move or something like that. I think that's a, a really nice way to sort of add some complexity into the game's uh, mm-hmm. combat. Yeah, that's... It did make the combat a little more interesting. Um, you know, it, the simplicity of it works well, but also increasing the vocabulary of options available to you as a player was a good thing. Um, I also like that the psychic powers also came with a sort of cost as well. Um, in order to use the more powerful powers, the, uh, you know, the, not just the ones that slow down an enemy, but slow down a bunch of enemies or do an area of an effect sort of thing you have to go up the ranks in this feudal hierarchy probably my favorite thing about the expansion after having spent some time with it was this nobility sort of thing yeah yeah tell me more about the royalty aspect because that's we haven't touched on that and that's what the thing is actually named after (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh a really great way to increase the amount of craziness going on in your in your base um as your colonists get higher up in the ranks they make more and more demands like all of a sudden they need a throne room and they need a gigantic bedroom and they need to play harp (laughs) all day long so so do you like just designate one of your colonists as like the king or queen or is it chosen for you or do they like claim power for themselves how does it work you designate someone to accept a quest, and if you succeed in the quest, then you um, get royal favor, and the more royal favor you have, the higher up in the ranks you go. Um, the higher up in the ranks you go, the higher the demands, and the more powerful abilities you can use, too. Man, how Arthurian. You have to <laughs> accept a, an epic quest in order to get your kingly power. That's uh, straight out of a storybook there. Some of them are like, this rich asshole duke comes around and says, hey, I need you to wa- to watch over my plagued elephants for a couple of days. <laughs> and he drops them off and leaves, and you got to just make sure they don't die. Okay, well, that's one way to be a king, I guess. Um, or through- you, can, um, you can build monuments for a different nobility. There was a duchess who wanted me to build a monument to her quote-unquote smokiness. <laughs> I do love how this game sort of like does ad libs when it comes to like uh in-world creations in the similar vein of Dwarf Fortress but like when you create a work of art it'll always be like and this commemorates the time that Hull puked all over his bed when he got sick from uh, Nancy's food poisoned uh casserole. Mhm. Yeah, the uh the artworks all have dis- fake descriptions about like what they're supposed to be about um but they're often referred to events that did happen um these monuments are kind of the same way too maybe not about an event that happened on your base but about a person uh who is contacting you and it gives you a blueprint and then you have to build like three steel tables and five marble columns and things like that around um it, it works pretty s- seamlessly. You just say, hey, build this monument over here. You don't have to go through and select each individual steel table. It was a nice little touch. Now my base, before it died and went up in flames, was surrounded by noble monuments. 
the ability to aesthetically enhance your base is always a nice thing and you know if there's like a cool story in terms of like a character that you have that goes along with it that's even more fun like i had a dope game room and it was highlighted by a centerpiece of a monument that depicted a great battle that my caravan successfully fought off and Mm. i was like that's cool i got like a nice (laughs) little clubhouse here where like my badass colonists are depicting their muffalo caravan conquests and you know enjoying a beer while they you know unwind from a hard day's work it really does like make the game feel super lived in when you got stuff like that going on when you got that kind of self-reference yeah it it's really cool when that happens yeah and it sometimes if if a game does this wrong it can seem like extremely up its own ass but Hmm. um this game does it in such like an understated way where you, you know you have to kind of look for it to know that like the game is self-referencing and it's like building a world out of the stories that you've created with the time you've spent with it and i Mm -hmm. think that's just elegant and well done and fun with that do you want to do some three-word reviews sounds good to me all right my three-word review is perils of addiction Uh, My favorite (laughs) colonist in this game was a uh, wake-up, which is sort of like the speed of this game. Uh, He was a wake-up addict. And so while he was battling his addiction to wake-up, I was battling uh, my addiction to RimWorld. Uh, There were a couple days after I got home where I, you know, took the dog out, worked out, made dinner, and then it was straight to RimWorld until bed. Like, this game really got its hooks in me. And I've not had a game so effortlessly devour the hours in a long time. Like, this is civilization levels of just one more turn. You know, I found myself daydreaming about how I could reduce foot traffic in my kitchen so I could keep it cleaner. So (laughs) I think that's all you need to know about how thoroughly this game immerses you in its simulation uh all in all this game was a type of game that i didn't realize that i still loved right the strategy survival sim resource management game uh will always have a place in my heart and this game like brought that back in a big way for me and so two thumbs up play RimWorld. it's cool all right uh this game you know not a big surprise looking at how many hours i've put into it but also a big thumbs up for me the three-word review I have for it is Western Space Opera. Uh, the theme, the setting of the world is very much uh, Wild West slash space. Um, you have colonists there. They're wearing cowboy hats. They're carrying around revolvers at the beginning. And eventually you get up to like laser guns and things like that. But at the very beginning, you're just kind of basic Wild West style technology and um but also space opera to me this game was all about the stories it told you the stories it created for you and because those stories were so compelling and so and and because they were procedurally generated you never really ran out of it i could start a new base tonight and i would have five or six really cool stories to tell about it within a week Mm-hmm. And I could do that over and over again and again. So big thumbs up from me. This game is a worthy successor to the Dwarf Fortress lineage. Agreed. Well, with that, uh, for Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. Take care and keep on gaming.
it's so funny, like the relationships in this game are way more deep than they appear on the surface. I don't know if you noticed this, but you know how the game, when you're forming your colony, presents you with like seven colonists and says, choose three? Those other four go out into the world and you will find them eventually. Huh. Um, yeah, so like uh, I split up a married couple uh, when I <laughs> when I chose my colonist because I needed the skills that one had, but not the <laughs> one that the other had. And um, eventually, like the the formerly married person uh, took a, a new uh, partner, and uh, we found her husband in like a trading caravan that came through the base at one point, and like some shit went down, and like <laughs> it was not good. But it's amazing how, like, thoroughly modeled that is and the fact that, like, even that first choice you make will start to, you know, sow the seeds of the story that you're going to be reaping for the next several dozen hours. (laughs) 